Welcome friends. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, and what it's like to be a church-going person in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine. They're authors, ministry leaders, people who've experienced answers to their prayers, and some are just as baffled as I am that God's ways are not the same as ours. But all of the people you'll meet on this podcast can gladly shout, no matter what you're facing, God's got this. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. Today, I'm delighted to share a conversation with Chuck Lawless as we discuss how to win the battle to believe. Chuck and I talk candidly about prayer, spiritual warfare, and the battle to believe, especially as related to praying for and loving people who are lost or who have lost their way. You're going to love Chuck's transparency and his simple yet profound definitions of spiritual warfare and prayer. If you have friends who are working hard to navigate the path of parenting adult sons and daughters who've deconstructed their faith, then please share this podcast with them. Please excuse the few glitches on this today's podcast. The conversation was so rich that I decided not to try to redo it simply because our internet was a little bit unstable. Thank you for listening. To the Leanne McCoy podcast. Enjoy this interview. I am so glad that y'all are joining us today for this conversation with a, a person in ministry that I've admired for many, many years. His name is Chuck Lawless, and Chuck is way smarter than I could ever hope to be. In fact, in his bio, I, I can't hardly even pronounce the words to some of the things that he's part of, but let me tell you what those are. Chuck is the Dean of Doctoral Studies and the Vice President of Spiritual Formation and Ministry Centers at Southeast. Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's also the professor of evangelism and missions. He's a team leader for, this was the part that I got real impressed with, theological education strategist for the IMB of the SBC. You'd have to be an insider to know what all that means, but that's, it's the that's for sure. International Mission Board for this of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. His wife is Pam. Y'all been married for how many years? Be Sorry. 32 years in May. 32 years in May. So only three years less than I've been married. I'll be, oh. I've been married 35 years and we'll be moving toward 36 years next year in January. But um, anyway, congratulations on that. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to join you. Well, um, I want my listeners to know that what connected been in the same places, uh, in some years gone by at prayer conferences, I don't even remember when I first met. We've been in, in small churches at prayer conferences over the southeast, I think, and in different places. And um, but you are very prolific on your blogging and, and sending out devotions and encouragement, emails, that kind of thing. And I'm on your email list. And just recently uh, you wrote an email that just really triggered me and I resonated with me so much. And it was one about um 
just struggling to trust God through the thick and the thin. And so that's what reconnected us to each other. And so I want us to talk a lot about that. But first, Chuck, I'd love for um, the people just to kind of get to know you. Uh, Tell us how prayer became such a focus of your ministry. Yeah, thanks, Leon. I wish I could say that that my church, when I became a believer, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, I became a believer at age 13. I, I wish I could say that my church just discipled me so well that that prayer just became part of my DNA, but that that would not be accurate. They they did the best they could do. Their their assumption was that if we if we show up at everything, we'll connect all the dots and come out on the other end of that as a as, as a disciple. And yeah. what they did is what so many churches do. They they told us what we needed to do with our disciplines, but they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't really teach us how. And so yeah. when we're told and not taught, we can't get there. What what honestly made the difference for me was having some role models, some pastor friends who whose hearts just beat with prayer. And mm-hmm. you just knew, you just knew when they prayed that God heard. You just knew that they prayed out of deep relationship, not just need, but relationship. Mm-hmm. And I had enough of those men. I have a couple still in my life these days, though the older I get, the harder it is to find folks older than I am to, <laughs> to uh, help guide me. But right. I just... I just longed to have what they have, and I, I'm not there yet, but uh, the Lord just keeps growing me in this in this area. When you share that, I'm reminded when I was a young pastor's wife, there were two women at the church that um, said that they would be my prayer partners, and one was a seasoned pastor's wife. Her husband mm-hmm. was retired, and, and she invited me, and when she said that, I understood it to mean that she invited me to come and pray with her, which is what she meant, but I brought the other woman who wanted to be my prayer partner, and she she did not mean that. She had never prayed out loud ever in her life. Mm. <laughs> she <laughs> wanted to pray for me, but not with me, but together, the three of us, I know for me, that's when I really learned to pray was when mm. I was praying with these other women. And, and you're right, just prayer that comes from relationship. When you pray with people and you just know that you're getting the overflow or, or being invited into what is an intimate place and a very, um, I don't want to say casual, but um, um, easy, like an easy conversation because the person that you're praying with so it's so comfortable in that place and that is truly a great thing well you've done a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare as well and I want to I want to get your take having have had that subject in my world too I want to get your take on like how you define spiritual warfare and what you think it is and how that dovetails with prayer let me let me give you the definition that uh, Bill Cook a New Testament professor at Southern Seminary he and I wrote a book on spiritual warfare called spiritual warfare and the storyline of scripture and in that in that book we define spiritual warfare so the easiest way for me to do this is just read you our definition and then unpack it a little bit we okay. we define spiritual warfare as the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces with the church standing in the armor of god defensively mm-hmm. resisting the devil and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. Now that's Ooh. that's a lot. So let me that unpack it. It's an ongoing okay. battle. 
it, it's it's going on until the Lord brings us home. We're in this battle between the church and the devil and his forces as the enemy attacks us to try to get us off the playing field. And here's our job. It is to stand in the whole armor of God. And people have to teach us how to do that, how to stand in truth and righteousness and so forth. Defensively, we resist the devil's arrows, but offensively, we proclaim the gospel. So we step into the darkness every time we proclaim the gospel. But here's the real good news. We're in a battle that Christ has already won. And so yes. <laughs> the battle is real, but it's a battle that uh, we have already been a part of the victory through through Christ. Hmm. The, and the role, what exactly? Go, go ahead. ahead. Keep going. Now, the role of prayer in that is prayer is, I define it this way. It's a cry for relationship with God and a confession of dependence on God. It's, it's both. It's a cry for relationship with God. When I pray, I'm saying, God, I love you, and I want to be in relationship mm -hmm. with you. It's that relationship with God that helps us stand against the enemy. And then mm -hmm. prayer says, God, I need you. It's a confession of dependence on him. And when I pray, I'm saying, God, I love you, and God, I need you. When I lean on him in that way, and I recognize my need for him, I'm much more likely to be in a position to stand strong against the against the devil. That's good. I love that. I love every bit of that. And I'm just like, yes, absolutely. What I love about that is you don't deny that we are somewhat in a defensive posture against the schemes and the uh, attacks of the enemy, but we don't we don't just stand there and take it at the same time we're advancing the gospel. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Even when, when Paul told the Ephesian believers to put on the whole armor of God and to stand, and he uses the image of stand mm -hmm. multiple times, but, but even then he says, you pray for me that I will speak the gospel boldly. And he, okay. he says that from a prison cell in essence saying, pray that I'll keep doing what got me here in the first place. So he's, he's on the offensive, even even in the prison right. cell, because we get to engage the darkness through the teaching of the gospel. Mm. You know, and one thing I've learned, too, is sometimes the very strategies the enemy uses against me, for instance, you know, the attack that comes can become if we'll stand in it. Uh, armored up like what you're talking about and even if i like to say even if it's messy if we're still proclaiming our confident trust in god in that place then that very place becomes an opportunity for the gospel to advance as others are watching you go through that hard thing i i agree with you when we yeah. have confidence and faith and trust even when the devil is hammering away at us the world takes note of, of our faith they do. They do. I don't like it, but <laughs> they do. And it's a good thing. I used an illustration one time talking about the ski slopes and how there's the bunny slope. Then there's the, you know, all the bruise colors, the blue and the black and the black diamond. And I said, nobody goes to watch people ski on the bunny slope but when somebody can navigate the black diamond that's what we're mm. seeing and that's kind of I, I was using the scenario of when we go through hard times it might be our turn to be skiing down the black diamond and see how our faith works because it rains on the just and the unjust the same and then it's how we respond to that is where we're able to um really at the while we're being defensive against the enemy's 
arrows, we're also advancing the kingdom at the same time. That's really a powerful definition. I'm going to, the name of that book is Spiritual Warfare. In the Storyline of Scripture. In the Storyline of Scripture. Okay, I'm going to put a link to that book um, in the show notes so that we can uh, pass that on to everybody. So in this particular article that you wrote, you were, uh, and what I want to talk about is, well, let me ask the question first. How do we fight from that posture of victory? I know just knowing that the victory has been won gives us confidence. Mm -hmm. And is that like, is that the, that's, that's what it is. We're fighting because it certainly doesn't feel like it's won when we're in the thick of it, you know? Well, no, that's right. The, the battle is typically very intense and very real, and it is very mm. present tense when we're in it. So it's mm -hmm. hard for us to think about, but wait a minute, Christ already disarmed the powers in the past, and he's guaranteed us victory in the future, when right now it just hurts. And right. here's what I think we have to do. Uh, we have to lean into the word without question. We have to lean into prayer on our knees and I know that both of those sound really basic. They sound like a, a Sunday school answer. And I, and I understand that, but they, they really are the answer that we lean into the word of God that assures us of victory. And we lean into God in our praying and our talking with him, listening to him. And the way we fight from a position of victory is we, we look back and see God's blessings in the past we look forward in seeing God's promises in the future. When we see God's care in the past, including and primarily the death of his son on the cross and the promise of the future that we will be with God forever, we will ultimately live victoriously forever, then the past tense faithfulness of God and the future tense promises of God help us to stand strong even in the present tense battle that we face. That's good. There you go. There you go. And it's so rich to remember not only looking forward with the promises, because sometimes those promises are dying on to, they get shouted out by the present distress. But when we can look back, that's undeniable evidence of what God has already done in our lives. Then that we say, well, he has done this. He's promised to do that. So surely what I'm dealing with right now is not going to be where I'm going to be stuck forever. Yep, you got uh, it. That's good. <laughs> that is good. Well, this particular devotion, I think it was that you had sent out, was called Kept Promises That Help Questioning Faith. And you must be reading through the Bible and doing the devotions on your on your reading through the Bible. Is that what you're doing? I do that. Yes, I've done that for, yeah. this is my 10th year I'm doing that, reading oh, through the scriptures and, and writing a devotion every day that folks every subscribe day. to to it. And and I started doing it really for accountability for myself and for some That's guys that, that I was holding accountable. And it just uh -huh. expanded to where I added it to my website. And I love just reading the word and writing a simple to the point devotion that yeah. I trust encourages people. Well, this was a great one. And because it's short, I want to read it. It's okay. Because I want to okay. just let the people know. So it was from Joshua 18 through 21. And you wrote, today, I need to cling to the promises of God, to be honest, because I'm struggling trusting God's hand. I know better, but I find myself in the middle of a battle with the enemy who wants to discourage me. That's why I'm so grateful for these verses today at the end of Joshua 21. 
So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their ancestors. None of the enemies, their enemies were able to stand against them, for the Lord handed over all their enemies to them. None of the good promises of the Lord had made the wait, let me just change that. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. Hmm. Joshua 21, 43 through 45. And you wrote, I'll type the words again just for the encouragement. God gave all he had promised. He did all he had sworn. He defeated all the Hebrews' enemies. Not a single promise he had made failed. He fulfilled everything he had said. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. That's one of my favorite verses that he, none of his good promises, none of the ones that he made ever failed. Everything was fulfilled. And um, I was sharing with you when I, when I typed in that that meant so much to me because I also am struggling trusting God's hand. And it's because the weight of the battle is so heart heavy. You know, mm -hmm. I find myself many times going to the Lord just saying, you know, my heart is literally just weighted down with this. And I want to be a good child who's trusting God and heave it over to him every single day. He carries it much better than me. And I, I know the promises, but in the present, it's just hard to trust and, mm -hmm. and believe. And I shared with you and my listeners know this. I don't talk about it a, a whole, whole lot, but um, it does have to do with people I love who have um, who have walked in the faith, but now are not. And they, it's not that they just are rebelling and just, you know, turned away, but it's a very methodical um reasoning and logic and wrestling and emotional journey that has now been coined deconstruction. And I'd love for us to just tap into that a little because you, um, you know, I'm sure in the work that you do, you've had some experience with knowing people affected by that as well. Yeah, I have. And Pam and I married later in life. The Lord didn't give us children. So we, we have raised students for 27 years as a as a seminary professor but as a as a professor and as a pastor i can tell you that i do have folks that i know well uh, who were raised in a christian home uh, solid christian homes who who have left everything behind with with great zeal to be honest uh, and denied mm -hmm. pretty much everything they had learned and I'll tell you what, and I, I know how much my heart hurts for these who aren't my biological children. They're my, they're, they're my, my close, close friends. I can't, I can't imagine the grief of parents and spouses and others that, that mm -hmm. experience that with someone that is directly related to them. But it's, it's happening and it's, and it's becoming almost the in thing to do in some ways and we have to be prepared for how do we keep trusting God, even when all the evidence suggests that everything's going in the wrong direction? Yes, that is the challenge. <laughs> well, and what happens for me, and this is this is just interesting to me to see how I, I still challenge. When I wrote that devotion, I was in the middle of, of one of those days where I just, Lord, I want to trust you. But Lord, I also want to see just a glimpse of your glory. I, I need yeah. to see just something that, that you're doing. It's interesting to me that I that I still wrestle with that because 
We prayed for my dad for 36 years before he became a believer at age 71. Wow. We prayed wow. for my mom another 11 years for 47 years until wow. she was age 79. And I had the privilege right at two years ago now of baptizing my mom when she was 79. She lived wow. just six more months uh, before the Lord called her home. So I had six months with her as my mom and my sister in Christ. <laughs> and you know what? Here's what I here's what I wrote about that. When, when the Lord finally answers your prayer, you don't you don't worry about the delay anymore. Yeah, that's you just, good. You just yeah. don't. In in yeah. those decades of praying for my dad, decades of praying for my mom, there were those moments where I thought, what's the point anymore? Why why God's obviously not listening. But I also knew to whom else would I go? God's God's the one who would have to change their hearts. I I couldn't do it with all of my training, with all of my degrees, whatever those amount to. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I could not change their hearts. I could not convince their minds. God mm -hmm. had to do that. And God ultimately did that. And my dad and my mom both became believers. They were not in a church service. They were not in a revival service. They were, they were both at home when the spirit just overwhelmed them at separate times. And they reached out to us and, and God worked incredible miracles in their lives and wow. so when, when I wrestle over people I love now, first of all, it feels really strange to me to still be wrestling, having known God's faithfulness to take care of my parents. But that's, right. but that's the nature of the battle. Mm -hmm. It really is present tense. And so what mm -hmm. I have to go back to is say, Lord, I think of one, one young man in my life right now, Lord, I can't change him. I can't, mm -hmm. no matter how hard I try, I, I cannot form the argument that's going to convince him right now. All I can do, Lord, is love him the best way I know how. And God, I just have to keep bringing him to your feet. Mm -hmm. And I'm and I'm a fixer by nature. I, mm -hmm. I want to fix things yesterday. So for me right. to back off and say, all right, I just need to slow down and let the Lord do his work and just keep trusting him is not easy for me to do. But I think sometimes the Lord puts us in positions where he says, you, you really are just going to have to trust me because you can't fix this. Uh, right. And sometimes that's the way we are when we're dealing with folks who are deconstructing their faith. Yes. And, you know, uh, in some ways, when we get to that place where we really realize, I mean, our head knows it all the time. I, I mean, our head knows we can't fix it, even though we may be crazy enough to engage in a, a <laughs> fruitless, a futile <laughs> conversation mm -hmm. with them that doesn't really do any good at all. And thank you, Lord, for your grace. I don't, I hope it doesn't do any damage or too much damage at all. But we know that. And all it takes is a few of those conversations to convince you if you don't know. But it's so great when that knowledge makes its way to our hearts. And it kind of gets there for me when I'll spend a whole lot of time focusing on who God is, what his character is like, how great he is, a whole lot of praising and worshiping. And then I'm like, well, of course he can do this. I cannot. Of course he knows what to do. In fact, I get in those situations sometimes and I think, why do I think my prayers are so important anyway? Because I'm not going to tell God anything he doesn't already know. <laughs> I'm not going to convince 
convince him of anything. Please don't let me convince the Lord God Almighty to do something he would not have already been convinced to do, hmm. you know, and so you think, so then it comes back to, and then my prayers are really more about just, um, well, I mean, obviously he invites us to pray for lost our lost loved ones and to pray for the lost and somehow in the mystery that all makes an impact. But um, the actual activity of prayer becomes very much about us just being more and more empowered by the, the time in, in his presence, I think, to be what we can be to partner with him in that person's life, in our relationship with that person, rather than demanding that we see a change quick, instead just trusting God enough to um, love them. And, and if God allows us to have relationship with them along the way, that can be that can be rich and good. Can you speak to that? Because I think that's really something for parents that they that they need that we need. We need to hear that. I, I agree. I think we have to recognize that sometimes God puts us in situations where, yes, he wants us praying for others, but in the course of that praying, he wants to draw us to himself at even, yeah. even deeper levels, where yeah. our desperation forces us, it compels us to cry out to mm -hmm. God. And mm -hmm. it forces us to go back to the word to say, Lord, I just need a reminder of who you are. To your point, mm -hmm. you see his majesty and you see his grace and you pray mm -hmm. differently. And I think, I think sometimes when we're, we're so desperate for God to do something in somebody else's life, our turning to God then is part of God's plan to change us, to, to yeah. grow us. And if we recognize that, we can pray, Lord, not only would you please reach my buddy's heart, but God, do yeah. what you had to do in my heart too. Teach me yeah. to trust. Teach me to yes. be persistent in my prayer. Teach me to have faith. And in that case, yeah. we're being we're teachable even as we're asking the Lord to grab the heart of somebody else. Yes. I love that. I love it. And in fact, today I read in the Psalms that I, um, and I wish I could remember the actual uh, chapter and verse, but it, it would have ended with a three because I was doing the whole read Psalm three. It might've been in Psalm three or 33, might've been in 33. I rejoice in the shadow of your wings. And in my mind, like a shadow of any kind is if I'm not having to be there, I'm, I'm probably not going to be there. I'm going to be out in the open, you know, roaming around all. But when I come in close and have to get under his shadow, it's because I need his protection of my perspective on everything because of whatever burden I'm carrying can distort that. And so I'm in the shadow. But then I thought, I don't just huddle in the shadow and cry. I can rejoice in that place. I can mm -hmm. rejoice in the shadow. And um, that's a, I think that's a part of that waiting and that longing and that wanting you know, to see something happen that's not happening is that we really can grow in our relationship with him to the point that we're rejoicing. Even when we rejoice in the intimacy that that longing brings to us, I think. Yeah, so, I, I agree. And, I, and my, my hope is for folks that I'm praying for that they would see in me, one, that I still love them, even yes. though we differ seriously yes. on right. some, for me, eternal issues. Uh, right. I still love them. I'm still going to be a part of their life as long as they will let me do that. And I, and I want them to see this, that though, though my heart breaks over them, they still see that I have 
the joy of Christ. And yeah. I, I want them mm. to see both uh, my, mm -hmm. my brokenness over their heart. And even in the midst of the brokenness, I'm just going to trust the Lord. And if they can mm. see peace in that, mm. just maybe, just maybe that will be helpful in their turning to God at the point that they're, that they're going to need to, uh, to mm. return at some point. That is that is so powerful. And I think that's a key, key thing right there that they can see both our brokenness, but also our contentment in, in mm -hmm. where God has us right now because we trust him that much. And there's this underlying peace that just surpasses all of that going on. That's good. That is really good. So how can we expect our prayers to affect um, the ones that we love? How do our prayers affect those that we're praying for? Yeah, our prayers are to a God who loves us, who, who loves those that he has created, uh, that he came to die for us while we were yet sinners, a God who is drawing unto himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who will gather around his throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and God, is still, God is still in that work. And most of us have become believers because somebody was praying for us. And God yeah. moved in our hearts to, <laughs> to bring us to, to him. For me, it was a 12-year-old classmate who, as far as I know, was the only person praying for me a long time ago, uh, back when wow. I became a believer at age 13. But God yeah. heard that young guy's prayers and moved in my heart in ways I couldn't deny. I, we've amazing. seen that happen in other people's lives. The struggle becomes when God is taking his time doing it in somebody else's life that we love. But yes. we can trust that the God who has done that is the God who is still doing that. Mm -hmm. And we, we can trust that we are taking our needs to him and he's hearing those requests of our heart. I love that. I love that. So powerful. Well, I want to transition um, in thinking, and I know this is so good. We could talk about this forever, how to pray for those that we love and trust God in the process. And um, but what I want to also before our time is up, because you're such a leader in the world of prayer ministry, I want to hear some encouragement from you for prayer leaders in our local churches. I, I'm working hard to network with and to relate to and encourage prayer leaders in the local churches. And um, I'd, I'd love to hear any advice you have or encouragement for those that have the burden. And, you know, I don't think I've been to a single church that not at least one person has a burden for their church to be praying. Mm -hmm. And I've been to a lot of churches where there's one person with that burden and not as many churches where I go in and like, they're like, oh, just come see our prayer ministry. It is thriving. It's wonderful. It's dynamic. And I have a real passion to see that our church does have a thriving dynamic prayer ministry. And I'm so excited about it. And I want that to be multiplied because I genuinely believe that when we pray, God works. I think right back to what you said at the very beginning is prayer declares our, our love for God and our dependency on him. And he wants his churches to experience that even corporately together. So give us some good words of, um, I don't know, counsel, advice, encouragement to those of us who have that burden in our churches, but may feel like we're the only ones. One, I would say if, you're, if your pastor is on board and helping lead the way in prayer, just make sure you thank him. Thank, thank the Lord for him and thank the pastor because I have never seen 
a church that is deeply prayerful without a lead pastor who is deeply prayerful. I just haven't uh, seen uh. I've, I've seen the pockets that you've seen, the individuals that you've seen who really want their churches to pray, but it's really tough to move a church in that direction if the lead pastor isn't there. So I would say first, if, you, if your pastor is on board and really leading the way in prayer, thank the Lord for him and let him know how grateful you are. If your pastor is not there yet, I would say to prayer leaders, don't get discouraged by that. Just pray, Lord, as you teach me to pray, teach, teach my pastor to pray uh, yeah. and help me to know how to, how to best support him. Uh, I don't want yeah. us to get frustrated with pastors who may not be as invested in the prayer ministry. I want us just to pray for them, that the Lord would, would work in their lives. And then, and then I would say, as prayer leaders in our churches, we, we have to rejoice over even the few who join us. Oh, that's a, yes. I love that. Yes. That's huge to me because mm -hmm. so much of what we do in our churches, we evaluate the success on the basis mm -hmm. of numbers. So if right. we have 20 people who come to pray, that's better than two people who come to pray. Well, maybe, but you may have of the 20, a bunch of folks who don't know how to pray. They're, mm -hmm. they're struggling. You have two people over here who love to pray and those two can move heaven. And right. I, want us, I want us to get beyond, we have to get the whole church involved because we're right. just not, we're just not going to, we, right. we can aim for that. But mm -hmm. if, if we have only a few, we have, we have two options. We can either get disappointed in the many who didn't come, or we can rejoice in the few who do. I want us to do the latter because it only takes a few praying people, a few righteous people can make a dent in the darkness. And so if, you're, if your prayer ministry grows very slowly, one person at a time, you don't get the recognition that, that teachers get or elders get or deacons get. They're not typically commissioned in the service like missionaries are. They're not ordained like some are in different positions. Prayer ministry is on your knees in the closet behind the scenes. And yeah. to expect that ministry to just catch fire easily, it's, it's just not going to do that. But right. give me a handful of people who know how to pray, who love to intercede for others, and God can, God can rain the fire down. That is so good. Such an encouragement. And especially I'm hearing you as a woman who's a prayer leader. And in many of our churches, women are the ones who are... Um, passionate about prayer and uh, that encourages me in many ways in fact I want to uh, link what you're saying encouraging us as prayer leaders to what we were talking about and being encouraged as we pray for those that are that are lost is that um, we don't want to be seen as always so heavily burdened and distressed over what's not happening because that actually works against us not, not right. for us and so if we just trust God with this. And I, and I love talking about praying for our pastor and for him to have a heart for prayer and then just to be content until he gets all fired up about that to be, it's okay if it's just me and one other, or if I show up and I'm the only one in the prayer room because the Lord is there with me. So I guess there's two or more gathered no matter what, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, as we wrap up, um, what 
what resources can we promote uh, for you or how can people get connected to you uh, in an ongoing thing? Like how can they get on your email list and that kind of thing? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, the resources I would recommend probably would be the Spiritual Warfare book we already talked about, uh, mm -hmm. Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture. We actually, that book was written more as an academic work. We now have uh, produced a follow-up lay-level version that comes out in the summer of this of this year. Ah, yay! Um, called uh, you know what? I have no idea what the title is. I'm okay, drawing a complete <laughs> blank right now as to what we what we landed on. Or you can send it to me, and I'll. I'll add do it. that. I'll do that. <laughs> I, I can't believe that I'm. I think no, it's, it's I okay. Think it's, I, I would totally be that way. I'm like, I, don't know <laughs> I okay. think it's victory over the enemy, but I have to confirm that. So it's been okay. a while since we turned the manuscript in. The, yeah, the other okay. book I, I would recommend, though, is my my book called The Potential and Power of Prayer. Given the, the topic of this of this podcast, I wrote yeah. that book just a couple of years ago as a as a very simple guide to how do we move toward praying like Jesus did, how the early church did? How do, how do pastors do that? How do we do that corporately? Mm -hmm. I, I really wanted it to be something that anybody could pick up and read and want to pray more and actually pray more. So that's okay. the potential and power of prayer that came out in 2022, I believe. Okay, very good. And for those who want to connect with me, you can connect with me through my website, and that's just chucklawless.com. There okay. you, can, you can sign up for my daily devotions. You can sign up for my uh, regular blog post. My goal in both of those is to encourage and strengthen. I don't tackle all the controversial topics that others can tackle much more wisely than I. I, I want to I want to shepherd people with with the pen a little bit. And so that's so my good. that's my goal. Well, it's a wise goal, and I would do well to stick to that as well. <laughs> but I love it, and I am so encouraged. So I want everybody to know you definitely want to sign up for the devotions, for the blog posts. They're so incredibly encouraging and just practical. You give so many, many of your blog posts are lists, like eight ways to, and I just, uh, it's so so good. I actually use them. I want to throw this plug in as a prayer leader to um, I forward them to our prayer team members so that they can be encouraged by some of those those that you write. They're just excellent um, resources for us. Well, Chuck, thank you so very much for being on our podcast today and, and spending this time talking to us. This is going to be a very rich uh, conversation for people to be able to listen to, and I know they're going to be encouraged by it. Well, thank you. It's been fun to be with you. It's been good. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. If you know people who are struggling with trusting God best with the people they love most, then share this podcast with them. Encourage them to subscribe to the Leanne McCoy podcast for they will hear a lot of episodes that encourage us in our battles to believe. If you're a prayer leader in your local church, be sure to check out the Prayer Clinic website at www.prayerclinic.com. I blog there and share many resources that will encourage you as a prayer leader 
as well as unpack and explain to you how easy it is to mobilize the people in your church to pray. I look forward to sharing with you again next week on the Leanne McCoy podcast.